everybody. It's really good to uh, really good to be with you uh, today. Really good to see you. Uh, hope you're doing well, you and your family uh, at home. Staying warm. It's starting to get pretty cold as well, so that means that the holidays are upon us. Uh, you can see a lot of work went into this week as well. Uh, the stage, there's candles and wreaths and trees, and um, I don't know if you can notice online. Some of you are like, what's going on? They look closer to me today. Um, a new stage was put together. Uh, just this week, it happened in like three days. Um, a lot of hard work went into that. So thanks for all the, the people uh, who, who were involved in making this happen. I'm really definitely excited about this season, and um, hopefully all the Lord is gonna, Lord is going to do through it. Well, today, uh, we are, we're launching a new sermon series uh, for the Christmas season titled uh, Songs of Arrival. Songs of Arrival. And my hope in this series over the next month is that it would freshly stir our hearts and minds, that it would stir our affections around the wonders of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to say this as well before uh, we begin today. Uh, this sermon series is, is pretty unique uh, and really special to me, actually, because uh, we're actually partnering with Gospel City Church um, over at in Sin Young San Station uh, and Pastor Joel, uh, Joel Yoon, to make this sermon series a reality. Uh, each week, uh, some of our leaders from, from both churches are, are studying together. Uh, we actually met just this past uh, week, uh, studying this text together through Zoom. Um, and then what's happening on Sundays is that each church, uh, both churches, um, are preaching through the same text during this entire Christmas season. So we're sort of partnering together for this Advent season. And so I just want to say uh, I'm so thankful uh, for you, Gospel City Church. I'm so thankful for their partnership in the gospel uh, and their shared commitment to the Yongsan area, to Seoul, and, of course, to Korea. Uh, well, uh, it, it, again, it's hard to believe, hard to believe that the Christmas season um, is upon us. It's basically here. Hard to believe, isn't it? Uh, 2020 has certainly been a, a long year. It's been a trying year. Uh, it's been a tough year. Uh, but you can sort of, at least this past week, you can sort of, sort of start to begin to feel uh, a little bit of buzz in the air. Uh, that little bit of renewed energy that always seems to fill this time of year. Christmas decorations are, are going up. Uh, some of you uh, have begun uh, the whole Christmas music thing. Uh, Amazon and all these other major companies have put out their sales to lure you in, right? Um, it's that time of year now uh, where we are all expected to start getting in the spirit of Christmas, right? The Christmas spirit. You have to have the Christmas spirit. And that's a phrase I think the majority of us are familiar with, right? Uh, the Christmas spirit. You have to have the Christmas spirit. Otherwise, something's wrong with you. Um, and maybe it's just the year uh, that we're in, or maybe it's my somewhat analytical personality. But you, have you ever thought about what that really means, the Christmas spirit? I know there are certainly a lot of answers out there for that. For some, Christmas spirit simply means the cheer of good food. Some of you are in that camp. Uh, it's being at the table with family. It's 
the tradition of putting up the Christmas tree. For others, it's, it's getting in the spirit of giving thanks for the simple things in life, like having a job or having good health. Or perhaps the Christmas spirit uh, to you is sending out cards with well wishes and blessings for the years to come. You're one of the ones contributing to the multi-billion dollar Hallmark industry. Or maybe it's, it's getting and giving presents, being generous. That's the Christmas spirit to you. For others, the, the Christmas spirit is simply an attitude, an attitude of, of happiness. It's, it's going out with friends, going to parties, having fun. And of course, um, all of these things are, are all right, right? Okay, I'm not saying nothing, anything's wrong with any of those things. I'm not a Scrooge, totally, right? Uh, you can have some of that Christmas cheer, some of that kind of Christmas cheer. But I would today, this morning, I would like to get down to the core of this and attempt to answer us, uh, for us today, what is the true spirit of Christmas? What is the true spirit of Christmas? Is it fun? Uh, is it fellowship with friends and family? Is it eating good food? Is it giving? What is it? Well, to answer that, uh, let me invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we always find our answers through the word of God, right? Luke chapter 1. I know this is a familiar scene and story uh, to so many of us. Uh, but even if that's true of you here today, uh, maybe in person or watching online I hope, again, that you're able to be freshly stirred and, and filled with awe at the scriptures, the word of God, and these amazing realities that we're about to talk about today. So as we turn our eyes to Luke chapter 1, and we're not going to have this on the screen, so I really do hope that you grab a Bible and you have it out with you today so you can sort of go through this with me. But as we turn our eyes to chapter 1, starting in verse 26, what we see take place here is God sends his angel, Gabriel, to this young girl named Mary. She was mostly, or most likely, between the ages right here of 15 and 18 years old. And the text tells us that she was, she was a virgin and that she was betrothed, which is just sort of a modern-day trans way of saying that she was engaged, similar context. And she was betrothed, engaged to a man named Joseph, who the scriptures tell us was of the house of, of David. And as we enter the story here, what we see happen, Gabriel appears to Mary, and you can sort of even feel as you read the text, you can feel and imagine this sort of holy awe comes into that space. And he brings Mary this really specific message he tells her this news, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her, that she's going to bear a son, that she should call him Jesus, which means God the Savior, or God our Savior. He tells her that Jesus will be great, and that he will be the Son of the Most High God, which simply means he will be the son of God. Now again, 
It's easy if you've heard this story, you know, a hundred times, not to be profoundly amazed by this, shocked even by this message. But just for a minute, I want you to, to imagine being there. I want you to imagine that Angel Gabriel coming into the room where you are, and maybe you're just a fly in the wall getting to watch this, and imagine hearing this news, this message, for the very first time. And my question for us all today, even as we start, is how would you respond? What would your, what would your response be to this news? Well, it's interesting because we actually see uh, several people's first-time uh, first response to this news within Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. For example, we see Elizabeth. We know Elizabeth. She was a relative of Mary, mother of John the Baptist. This is what she says when she hears this news. She says, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She says, How has it happened to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. That was Elizabeth's reaction. Or how about Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias? The Bible records these words from him when he hears the news. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and listen, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. We also read that there are angels who get this news, receive this news, who respond to this news of Jesus' coming. This is what they say. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. How about the shepherds who hear this news from the angels? They have a response to the news as well. They respond similarly, actually, by doing what? By glorifying and praising God for all that they had been told. Or, you can also read in Luke 2, there was a man uh, who went by the name Simeon. Simeon. And when he saw Jesus for the first time, he actually takes Jesus, sees Jesus, and he says this, Lord, talking to God, he says, Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Or right after Simeon, we meet the prophetess Anna, who was so faithful to God. The Bible actually says that she never left the temple. She was just there, day and night, praying and fasting. That was her life. And what did she say? Well, it says that she simply gave thanks to God and spoke about this news to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, it didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter. People, angels, prophets, or kings. The response was always the same. And that response is the true spirit of Christmas. It's just one word. Worship. Worship. That was the spirit of the first 
Christmas. It was praise and thanks and blessing and glory to God. It was worship. And it's always been worship. Mary was told, even though you are young, even though you're young, even though you're a virgin, to you a child will be born. The Son of God will be born to you. Why? For nothing, Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And what was Mary's response? What was her response? Well, we see it was the same as all of the others. She praises God. The news of Jesus' uh, Jesus's arrival, the news of Jesus' arrival brings her to a place of worship. And it's her worship, her song, that's going to be our focus today. This song from Mary, what we're going to see is it's so theologically rich and at the same time so deeply affectionate. And it's coming from a person who believed God and joyfully embraced God's will for her life to the point where all she could do was worship. It's a beautiful song where we are brought into the heart of Mary. So let's read this song together. And through it, we're going to learn today, we're going to learn this morning about worship. This is what God's word says. Mary's visiting her relative Elizabeth. Elizabeth has called her blessed. We, we, we hear this response. We've read it before. I read it to you. She's called her blessed because of the news that's come from Gabriel. And then we read Mary's response Mary's response to the news in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. This is what God's word says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the thrones uh, and exalt. Uh, sorry, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. So we see here, we see here that at the news that Mary would be the mother of the Son of God, the one who would be given the throne of David and who would reign forever and ever, how does Mary respond? How does she respond? We'll see here, we see here that she, she bursts forth with the only true, proper response. She worships the Lord. Mary is so filled with wonder and gratitude at what God has done that we see her cry out 
with all her affection, with all her sincerity, and praises God. She blesses God. And in this, I believe what we see through this text, through this song, what I believe we see is Mary giving us uh, a form, a form to our worship. Mary shows us how we are to worship here. She teaches us who we are to worship, how we are to worship, and even the why of worship, why we worship. And so we're going to dig deeper into this text now. First of all, starting in this song, number one, with the object of our worship. Through Mary's song, we see first, number one, if you're taking notes, the object of our worship. I know this point seems obvious, okay, but we can never, never, we shouldn't actually, ever pass by or pass over these important truths. Mary says this, my soul magnifies who? The Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in who? In God, my Savior. In God, my Savior. So we see here, simple again, the object of Mary's worship is the Lord. The Lord. All the glory goes to him. All of the honor goes to him. All of the worship goes to him. And worship, I want you to know, worship is very central in that sense. It's very focused. Worship is very one-dimensional. We worship God and God alone. In Luke chapter 4, a few chapters later, verse 8, Jesus says this. He says, you shall worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Serve him only. Which again means that worship is limited to one being. One being in the universe. And that again is God, our Lord. And Mary knew that and we see her express that here. All honor and glory forever and ever go to the one true God. All worship is directed to him. And really what we see Mary do here is give us the heart of our worship as well. The heart of our worship, which is that God, she gives us a caveat there. She says God is our who? Our savior. That's the heart of our worship. That's what it says, right? My spirit, she says, rejoices in God, my Savior. As, you've, as we read through that text, maybe you noticed, we certainly see more of God's character in this song. Mary praises God because he's holy. She calls him holy, right? That he's set apart, which means he's completely free from sin, which means that he's unlike anyone or anything else in this world. She sings because he is mighty and strong. Because God is perfect in all his works and all his ways. We see Mary here cry out because the Lord is the provider. That he has filled the hungry and helped those in need. And again, all of these characteristics are are good and right things to worship and to bless the Lord over. But at the heart of our worship, at the heart of our worship, is the truth that God is our Savior. That he is our Savior. I've heard it said this way before. I think it's really good. 
all of worship is set loose in the great reality that we are saved from our sins and thus saved from judgment. So it's that understanding, it's that reality of God's character, who God is, that he is our Savior that leads you and I, leads all of us to praise. God is our Savior. And really, of course, we know that is the whole of why Jesus came. He was born. He came to the earth. Why? The scriptures tell us to seek and what? Save that which was lost. That's why his name is Jesus, right? That's why Gabriel tells Mary he shall be called Jesus because he has come or he's coming to save people from their sins. That's what it means or that's what the name Jesus means. It means Savior, God our Savior. So again, Mary worships God the Savior. She worships the one who, is, who sent his son to deliver his people, to rescue the sick, to save us from ourselves. This is who we worship. We worship God and God alone. He is the object of our worship. Well, moving on, the second thing we see in Mary's song uh, is the attitude of worship, the attitude of our worship, or uh, you could say the, the posture, the posture, the position of our worship, the attitude of our worship. Let's go back to the start of Mary's song here. Look back with me at verse 46. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. In just those few short verses there, I think we learn quite a bit actually about what should be the attitude or the posture of our worship. And so let me work through these for us. And we're going to actually spend kind of the bulk of the message or the bulk of our time together here. First of all, we see here that worship is internal. Okay? Worship is internal. It's first attitude. I believe that we see here about Mary's worship in Mary's song, that worship is internal. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord or exalts the Lord, followed by my spirit rejoices in God. And what we see here with both the word soul and spirit there is a reference to the inner person. It's a reference to the inner person. Mary is referring here to her entire, the whole of her inner being. What she's saying here is, my worship rises from the inside. It comes from the inside of me. It's not something, worship, listen, worship is not something that you do on the outside. It's not a specific set of words or a specific set of actions. Worship becomes that, but it is something first and foremost that's done internally, from the mind and from the heart. 
It's the mind, the will, and the emotions, the whole inner essence of our being that worships. And so understand, this is profoundly deep here. Worship, then, is not going to church. It's not even singing a song. It's not reading words in the Bible. Worship is not giving some offering or, or, or even carrying out a ritual like taking the Lord's supper, supper, the Lord's table. Again, those are potential effects of a worshiping heart, but they cannot stand alone as true worship. On their own, they are not true worship. The essence of true worship, then, is the inner part of our being. Again, all that's within us, our hearts, our soul, our spirit, being saturated, completely overwhelmed, and longing to praise. Worship is internal. Even Jesus himself, remember, said, God is spirit, and so we must worship him in what? In spirit. God is spirit, and so we must worship him in spirit. True worship, then, comes. It comes. It's rooted in a deeply devoted heart and a mind that truly understands who God is and what God has done. Second, we see here that not only is our worship, the attitude of our worship, internal, but it's also intense. Intense. Stick with me here with this one. That's a tough word. I wrestled that for a little bit. It's intense. Notice again, she says, my soul, this is the key word here, magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord. Actually, if you read through church history, uh, this is called, Mary's song is actually called the magnificent psalm, okay? Because of this word. This is the focus, really, of the song. The song. Notice again, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I think when we read that in English, I'd be interested in how it's translated in other languages. But when we read that in English, um, it might not grab us. It might not catch our attention or captivate our hearts the way that it's meant to. That word magnify there, um, it also means to exalt, to exalt. But it's also, it's interesting, it's where we get the word mega from. It comes from the word mega. Which, what do we use that word for? Well, we use that when we want to say that something is bigger than normal. Or when something is louder, right, than normal. And so Mary, by using this word, starting her song this way, she's saying this is a large and a loud praise of exaltation. That's what Mary's saying. She, she just has absolute unspeakable joy here. And so, her, her, and so her praise, I'll say it this way, her praise here is sort of crescendoing. Uh, just, just more and more, greater and greater, louder and louder, because her heart is so full of gladness and sincerity and praise. It's so full, in fact, so overwhelming, that what we see here is that she just bursts into spontaneous praise and worship. That's what happens here. 
This isn't a ritual. This wasn't, oh, Elizabeth said just the right words, and so this is the time that I get off my seat and I stand and I repeat these words and praise God. No, she's so overwhelmed with God's generosity, with who God is as the Savior, that she just spontaneously bursts forth with praise. It's almost like, if you can kind of picture the scene here, it's almost like right here, Mary can't contain herself. She's totally overjoyed. Again, again, this starts in the mind, right? So it's not chaotic. It starts in the mind. It rises up and out from what the heart comprehends. And then what happens here or what happens at that point is that when Mary internally comprehends what was going on, even to some measure, to some degree, when she comprehends what God was doing, that internal joy transfers outward to her emotions. There's an outward response here. And so she praises God. This is intense. It's deep. It's sincere. It's not at all shallow. And so I guess this is the the point of the message where I ask this question, as C.S. Lewis once put it, how long has it been since you were surprised by joy just bursting out from inside of you? How long has it been since you were surprised by joy just bursting out from inside of you? How long has it been since you were genuinely, genuinely, sincerely overjoyed? True worship comes from people whose hearts and minds and affections are stirred by the Lord. And then they respond. And certainly I pray that God would help us to be those people. Third, we see here that worship is ongoing. It's ongoing. That's the third attitude I see here. Worship is ongoing. This verse here, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Uh, we, We need to take note here, it's important, that this is a continuous action. This is written, actually, or exclaimed, or penned down in the present tense. Which means, which means that this worship, this praise and, and exaltation from Mary, it's, it's not just related to a specific event or a moment. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. Meaning, worship is not something that just starts and then stops. True worship goes on and on and on and on. Our worship and praise never stops. So listen, this is really important. This is really important for me to say. I think it's really relevant to this year, especially 2020. Really important. What that means then is that our fluctuating circumstances... 
our up and down situations should not impact our worship. Should not. Actually, true worship, true worship, genuine worship, that's internal from the heart, it can never be affected at all. See, what's going on around us, what's happening around us, doesn't have anything to do with our worship. Or, better, better said this way maybe, whether we choose to worship. That's why the Apostle Paul says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, rejoice. You see, true worship becomes, it should become, it's a way of life. It's constant. Why? Because worship is fixed on the one thing that never changes. It's fixed on God. True worship is fixed on Jesus, and he never changes. The gospel never changes. His promises never change. Our future in him never changes. And so if that's true, why should our worship rise and fall? It shouldn't. And true worship won't. So we worship at all times. It's ongoing, no matter what. God gives, God takes away. Still our hearts choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Well, that leads me to my, my last point that I'll, that I'll make here about the attitude of worship. And that is that our worship should be humble. That our worship should be humble. It's humble. And actually, this might be the key to the rest of these attitudes. But true, genuine worship always comes from a humble heart. It always comes out of a humble heart. And what's a humble heart? What's a humble heart? Well, it's a heart that has no thought for oneself. It's that simple. A humble heart is a heart that has no thought for oneself. You see, pride is the worship, actually. It's the worship, the idolizing of the self. And pride always competes then with God. Because only one thing can get our worship. And so understand this as well. If you are in a place right now, if you're in a place right now in your life, I know, again, I know life has been tough. It's been a difficult year, a trying year. Not everything's turning out the way that we wanted to. But if you're in a place, even right now, where you are not thankful, where you're not able to praise God and give thanks, it's not because God has not fulfilled his promises. It's almost always because our comfort level isn't where we want it to be. And that's because we get too focused on ourselves and what we believe we deserve and how we believe life should be. And so humility then, it's getting to a place, it's not easy, (laughs) it's a constant battle, but it's getting to a place where we are so fixated, so focused on God that our situation and our circumstances matter very little. Very little. 
our focus, being humble, means our focus is totally off of ourselves and on the Lord, on the person of Jesus Christ, and on the good news of the gospel. And that's exactly what we see here with Mary. Look at verse 48. The end of it says, says this. She goes, For he, God, for he has looked. He has looked. Or another translation I like. It says, He has regard. He's looked on the humble estate. He's looked at my condition. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. Do you understand what Mary is saying there? The thing about this whole scene that's so striking to Mary, about this whole ordeal, is that for her, it's just incomprehensible that God, the creator of the universe, would have such regard for such a common young girl like her. That's what's amazing to her. And notice throughout this song, notice this. Mary says absolutely nothing here about herself. Nothing. Everything she says here is completely centered on God. All of it. Yes, yes, her worship was deeply personal, deeply personal. But at the same time, it wasn't me-centered at all. Deeply personal, but not me-centered at all. This song's focus is 100% on the Lord. And honestly, that reality, that reality, that truth, as I just read through the song over and over and over this week, this might have amazed me the most. That she never talks about herself. Because here's what I know. As human beings, aren't we typically pretty quick to talk about ourselves, especially our successes? It doesn't matter if we achieve something great okay, or something small. We like to tell people what's going on in our lives and the successes that we've had or the way that God has blessed us. We enjoy doing that. And here is Mary. Don't overlook this fact. Here's Mary. She is pregnant with the Son of God. She's pregnant with the Savior of the world. And yet her total focus... The entire direction of this song is towards heaven and her God. She gives absolutely no focus, no attention to herself. This song, it's it's filled with complete gratitude and thanksgiving, knowing, knowing that she is so undeserving. And we are so undeserving not to be made the mother of God. That was just for her. 
But we are so undeserving even to be made children of God. And getting to that place, understanding that, that's the attitude out of which true worship rises. That's a heart that truly praises the Lord. So the object of our worship, it's God and it's God alone. And then the attitude of our worship, our posture, it's a deep, heartfelt, inner well of intense gratitude and joy that overflows continually from a spirit of humility. That's worship. I'll say that again. The attitude of our worship, the posture of our worship, this is what worship is. It's a deep, a deep, heartfelt, inner well of intense gratitude and joy that overflows continually from a spirit of humility. That's worship. And that's the spirit of this season. Well, we're going to move forward now. And we're going to end today with a third point about worship that I see in this text, in this song. And that's this. That's the why of worship. The why of worship. Or we could say it this way. The cause of our worship. The cause of our worship. We've looked at the object of our worship. The attitude of our worship. And now we move to the cause of our worship. The cause of our worship. We see here in the rest of Mary's song what brings her to a place of worship. And again, there are three things here for us to look at, but I'm going to move really quickly, much more quickly through these three uh, just for our time's sake today. So, first, the why, the cause for worship. Number one, uh, we worship for what he has done for me. I worship because of what he has done for me, what he's done for me personally. Look at verse 48, the middle of the verse. She says this, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Why, Mary? Why would you say that? It's verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We have to read this correctly. What Mary's saying here, it's like she's almost saying here, can you believe that a holy God would do this for me, a sinner? And again, that's, one of the roots, the key roots of worship, knowing that an absolutely holy God would do this, would do this, would save a sinner like me. You see, Mary knew. She knew she was a sinner. And she acknowledges here that God is holy. And by calling God the Savior here, she's acknowledging that she needs a Savior. And now she's worshiping God because now she comes to the realization that Savior has come. Has come. 
which means, which means she thanks God because this means that now her sins could be dealt with. You see that? Her Redeemer was coming, and so she praises God. That motivates her worship. And the same is true, should be true, for you and I when we personally experience the saving reality of Jesus. Understand, Jesus didn't change Mary's social status. You ever think about that? He doesn't change her social status, not at all. Right? She didn't become like this sort of... uh, earthly queen through this, right? My son is the, my son is the, you know, the king of kings, and so I'm this, I have this side throne as well as this earthly queen because I'm the mother of God, right? That's not at all what happens. Right? Her social status changes it not at all. For all we can tell as we read through the scriptures, her, her friends were the same. She has other children, Her life, again, for everything that we can read, her life seems fairly normal. In fact, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, some of his last words are are, are to tell the Apostle John, please make sure you take care of my mom. Right? So she wasn't like holy and set apart, and well, now that I'm the mother of God, I can take care of myself, and I'm you know, somewhat holy too. Not at all. Jesus is like, you're getting up there in age. You need some care. Here's John. Right? Her life was fairly normal. But, but, even though her, even though her, her earthly status or her physical status, her social status didn't change, we know that now here her spiritual status totally changed. Just like all whoever who have ever believed, all the rest of us who have ever believed. And understand this as well. It's sort of interesting to think of this picture, right? Because again, she's Jesus' mother. But Jesus had to die. And Jesus did die. For her sins as well. Just like us. And Mary knows that. So she worships God because he was there to save her. He had come to save her. This praise from Mary, it comes out of a pure gratification for salvation for what the Lord was providing for her personally. Second, we worship, we worship him for, for what he has done for his people. For what he has done for his people. We worship because of what he's done, or I worship him for what he's done for me. But I also worship him, we also worship him because of what he has done for his people I really wish we had the time to go into more depth and detail here. Uh, we just don't have the time. But look at what she says, starting in verse 51. This is really amazing. Mary here is reciting, to the best of her ability, she's reciting all that God had done for his people, the Israelites, throughout history. She recites a very brief, quick, 
but powerful and impactful historical record of what God has done for his people. She says this, he has, that's God, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. There's so much there. There's really a lot that could be said there. That, that se- uh, section of scripture could really preach itself. It could be an entire sermon. But the bottom line here is, the bottom line is, Mary's saying, God has been faithful to his people. God has been faithful to his people. He has lifted up his people. He has cared for them. He has provided for them. He has kept his promises over and over and over again. And he has continually watched over them. God has been gracious. He has been merciful. And he has always, always remembered his people. And in sharing this history, Mary's saying here, this is cause. Because of what God has done for his people, this is cause for worship. This brings me, this should bring us to a place of worship. Yes, we worship God for his personal gift of salvation. Absolutely. We worship God for the reality that he came for us, for you, for me. But we also worship because through generation after generation after generation, God has been faithful to his people. God keeps his promises and he never fails to provide. So we worship for what he does for me, or for what he does for us personally. We worship for what he has done for his people. And then finally, we worship for what he promises to do. For what he promises to do. We see this in verse 50. Verse 50. This actually sounds, if you go back to Psalm 103, specifically verse 17, this is really familiar. Verse 50, Mary says this, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She worships God for what he has done, what he's provided for her. And then he, she worships God for what God has done for his for, for the people, his people, and then sandwiched sort of right in between, right in between, one simple line, easy to read over again, now, but it's a totally different point. She's worshiping God here for what he promises to do. This is really, really, really good news here. Because this is really about us, okay? This is about us. We're here today. We're here this morning. You're here watching online today. We're celebrating Advent today because of this line. 
It's really good news because what Mary is saying is that God is the Savior, not just to her, not just to Israel, but his mercy, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his steadfast love is for all those, all those who fear him. For everyone, anyone who would fear him. And so Mary realizes, she realizes what the Lord is going to do for her, he's also going to do for others, for all who believe, for all who are in awe and wonder of him. This is why Jesus came. It's why Jesus came, you know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But he continues. We usually stop there at verse 16. And Jesus says in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Christmas, that a Savior would be born in Bethlehem to take away the sins of the world and to make a way for sinners to be reconciled with God. And this is news. This is a promise for all, for all who would fear him from generation to generation. This is why we worship. This is why we worship. See, when Mary, when Mary heard the news, when Mary heard the news from Gabriel that day, that she would have a son named Jesus, who would be the Son of God, the Savior, the King of Kings, the one who everyone, everyone was waiting for. Her response was short, <laughs> it was simple. But, oh, it was full of faith. This is how she responds to Gabriel. She said this, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. When Mary heard the good news of Jesus' arrival, she believed. And out of that belief, out of her understanding of the good news of the gospel, she praised the Lord. The news of Jesus' arrival brings her to a place of worship. And that's what it should do for us as well. It should bring us, first and foremost, and always, to a place of worship. The news of Jesus' arrival should bring us to a place of worship. That's what happened to Mary. That's what happened to Elizabeth, Zacharias, Simeon, the angels, the wise men, the shepherds, Anna. So how about you? How about you? How are you responding? How have you responded 
responded to the message of Christmas? How are you responding to the reality of the gospel and the truth that Jesus came? Again, this has been a really difficult year. Let's be honest about that. 2020 has been tough. It's been tough. But even this year, even this year, this Christmas, you can and you should still choose to worship. You can choose to have the Christmas spirit this year. Because God hasn't changed. And the gospel hasn't changed. I want to end today by speaking Psalm 34, 1 through 3 over you. I think it's a perfect parallel to Mary's song. And my prayer is that this would be your heart. This would be your heart this season and our gathering's heart this, this season. This is what the psalmist writes. I will bless the Lord at all times. My praise shall continuously or continually be in my mouth. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify, there it is again, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The news of Jesus' arrival should bring us to a place of worship. So let's do that, church family. Let's magnify the Lord and rejoice in God, our Savior. Let's pray together.